Well, at this time, the kids are dismissed for children's for Sunday school and for Jacob's Ladder. We wanted to keep you around so you could see that whole video. But you're allowed to get out of here now. And as we continue in worship, we are going to uh, come to God in our morning prayer. <clears throat> so, please pray with me. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to celebrate new members of our church family and to welcome them into members of your family as well. Lord, we celebrate the, the family that you have given us here at River Park and the vision that you have given us. And in this time, in prayer, Lord, we turn our hearts to those who are suffering, who are grieving, who are struggling. God, we pray this morning for Nellie Spielman, for Hans and their family, as they found out recently that Nellie's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Lord, be with them as they walk this difficult and scary road. We pray for recovery and uh, healing for Tony as he recovers from hip surgery last week. We pray for the DeWall and Bosker families and the death of Annette this past week. We continue to pray, Lord, for many in our church who are suffering with ongoing struggles and illnesses. We think of Deborah and of Josh. Lord, be with Sean and Jim. We pray, Lord, for David and for Luke, for Lean, for Sandy, and for Oliver. God, continue to give your strength and peace to those in our community who are shut in, who are struggling with health as they near the end of their lives, or struggling with uh, illness and other health issues that keep them confined to their homes or even to their beds. Lord, continue to lead and guide your church. Protect your saints who have, you have gathered here, who still cannot join us here in worship for many reasons. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that the unity that comes from you is not dependent on our geographical proximity. We do not all need to gather in this place because you have said to us in your word that we are your temple. So Holy Spirit, we praise you and thank you that you come to us, that you minister to us, and that you remain with us. So give us each and all what we need, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Song, you may come forward and give your offerings and tithes. I love the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry. He turned his He heard my cry. 
more time. Oh, for he is good. For he is good. Yes, he is good. If you want to stand and sit, join with us. I love the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry. He turned his Amen. Please be seated. God is good. This morning, I get to share about God's goodness from His Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And the sermon is entitled, Partnership Without Compromise. Before we read God's Word, I just want to say a few words about why. We often worry, I think, that we have to give something up in order to be partners with others. 
Sometimes we even try to force others to give something up to be partners with us. But this is a worldly picture of partnership. Biblical partnership is different. In a word, biblical partnership is about love. Partnership is when they, whoever they are, become we and us. Biblical partnership leads to unity. Paul knows this as he's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He begins his letter in chapter 1 by saying to the Corinthians, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Even today, we celebrate that with Roy, we are all baptized into the name of Christ and into the family of Christ. As Paul's, uh, as Paul's letter continues and gets to up to chapter 8, we realize that it's not just the letter, it's actually our reply to a letter. Maybe you've never thought of that, that every single one of the New Testament letters is two-way correspondence. We only get one side in Scripture, but we can easily understand from that one side at least some of what is going on in the Corinthian church and some of the direct questions that they ask. When we do that, it seems like Christians are facing, or Christians then are facing a lot of the same struggles and challenges that we are facing today. Someone delivers Paul, that letter from the church to Paul. They also share an oral report, and then Paul writes 1 Corinthians responding to all of it. He talks about sexual matters, about lawsuits and disputes, and then turns directly to his response. Chapter 7 begins, now concerning the matters you wrote about. Here Paul addresses marriage, singleness, food sacrifice to idols, personal rights and freedoms, worship, the Lord's Supper, using spiritual gifts, the resurrection of the dead, and an upcoming financial collection for others. In ministry, even in the last few months, I have been directly asked about all of these topics, except the one we're focusing on today. No one has asked me about food sacrifice to idols, so I figured I would share that with you. And not just because I think I have a good answer, but because although it is strange to us, Paul's answer here is the same, uses the same principle that he uses to address all those other topics as well. So, let's get into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 13, the whole chapter. Now, about food sacrifice to idols. We know that, quote, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something, yet uh, do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in all the world and that there is no God but one. 
For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, we, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificed food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, their conscience is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, therefore, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block for the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what what is sacrificed to idols? So then this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and so wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So far, the reading of God's word. As I said, this is a strange or foreign context and situation for many of us. But the historical background of this seems clear, certainly from Paul's letter and and then also from archaeological and historical work that's been done. Some believers in the Corinthian church were coming out of a background where the many idols and gods of their world were very real to them. Others were coming from a monotheistic background and thought these idols were just wood and stone that cannot speak or think for themselves. Eating food sacrificed to idols in Corinth in the first century was a regular part of social life. And what's over, the meat that was left over from those sacrifices and from those feasts was often available at a discount, like a day-old price. Different Christians had to eat, had different approaches to this food. Does it count as worshiping some other god when you eat it? And so, as I said, the Christians wrote a letter to Paul. They asked him, what must be done? What is required of us in this situation? Paul knows that these Corinthians are proud of what they know and that they're quite smart people. And so he challenges them on their way of handling this division. We know, he says, that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge asks what must be done, what is required These are the questions that the Corinthians are asking. I could go on and on this morning and explain to you much more of the historical context in Corinth, why this was happening, offer you pictures and videos and diagrams. After all, ancient Corinth, that's quite cool to nerds like me. Ancient Corinth is one of the most significantly excavated cities in uh, the ancient world that Paul visited. So of all the cities, we know probably the most about Corinth. There's so much we could learn and so much to know. But this morning, I want to encourage us to allow Paul to refocus our minds as well. Paul says that knowledge alone puffs up, but love builds up. 
Love fulfills the law because love always goes beyond the law, beyond what's required. Love is not interested in what's required. Love is only interested in giving as much as possible for the sake of someone else's flourishing. So rather than spend some time explaining Corinth this morning, I want to show you a picture of love. It's a video that's about four minutes long, and uh, the team in the back is going to show it in just a moment. I apologize for the quality of it, the technical quality, but I think the, the uh, content is worth getting through. I'm going to do that again. Sorry, I muted myself. The words at the end of the video say in Albanian, do not judge anyone. Be gentle with people because you do not know their concerns. We know in a classroom what must be done to discipline an irresponsible child who comes late to class. But love sees that the child has chosen something more important. And further, that his love will give as much as possible for the sake of someone else's flourishing. The child's love cares for his family member in a wheelchair. The child's love is willing to suffer pain. The child's love moves the teacher to love as well. This is love. This is partnership. The student is still the student. The teacher is still the teacher. But they no longer see each other as the other. As partners, they have become we. River Park Church's vision to reach out, to draw in, and to create mosaic community. Our vision is to bring an end to the division through partnership, through working together as people who are different, people with different, uh, from different ethnic groups, different genders, different generations, different socioeconomic groups, different abilities, until they become we. This is a huge vision that God has given us, a vision that, a vision that we would love one another, that we would love our neighbors, that we would love our world. And we cannot complete our vision, God's vision, if we're focused on ourselves. We can only find a way forward when we are filled with love and filled with joy. Not our own love or joy, but the love and joy of God and his kingdom. God's love and joy is greater when we welcome all kinds of people to be a part of God's community with us. To the point of this sermon, we believe that partnership in the gospel does not require compromise. Partnership doesn't require us to give something up or to be different than we are. Instead, partnership is powered by love. And love will give up as much as possible for the sake of another's flourishing. Love allows us to hold on to our views, even while we make room for others in our community to be different. It's love that brought Seyun and Yuna to have Roy baptized in Korean and to bring him up knowing his culture. It is love that we can see so clearly in their baptism video. 
It's love that motivates Pastor Harrison to suggest that I could baptize Roy. And love that brought me to memorize the Korean words. It is the love of our congregation that welcomes Roy and the whole Sung family into full membership as they are. A stranger might walk into our service or watch the video or audio online later and wonder, where does all of this come from? What are the rules that these people are following that makes them act this way? But there is no law. There is only the love of Jesus Christ poured out for us. It's the love of Christ in his parents that welcomes Roy into his family. It's the love of Jesus Christ that we speak about in professing our faith and baptizing our children. It's the love of Jesus Christ in all of us that guides us to do things the way we do them today. We see God's kingdom come when our world sees such a diverse group of people together as one. And then they exclaim, with us, only God's love could bring these people together. Only God's love could make these people partners. Only God's love could turn them into one diverse and unified family. The first two sermons on our series, in our series on unity looked at our unity and our mission together and our unity focused on our adoration of Christ. Last week, Pastor Harrison talked about practical love. He said a practical way to welcome and do life together with diverse believers is to learn their needs by asking, to support them in creating room to meet their spiritual and relational needs. When you see differences as you work together, you just need to ask them and accommodate their ways without any prejudice or assumptions. Remember, he said, we are one body, the body of Christ, and each part of the body is necessary for the proper functioning of the entire body. We are interdependent. Pursuing our God-given vision works with love. Partnership works with love. Pastor Harrison and I can explain to you all of the ins and outs of our vision. And to be sure, some explanation, more explanation is needed. And we'll have the opportunity to share more at our upcoming AGM, our general, annual general meeting. And we'll offer, offer more opportunity for knowledge and understanding later in the spring as well. But knowing and understanding our vision is not enough. Knowledge alone, the Apostle Paul says, puffs up. But love builds up. When we experience moments of joy and love in our in God's family, as we did this morning, we begin to give up our selfishness. We begin to set aside our fears. We begin to embrace God's vision for his kingdom to come even here and now. Then they become we, and we become partners together. When we are filled with love, and love will give as much as possible for the sake of others flourishing. When we are filled with love, then we cover over each other's weaknesses. That's what partners do. They cover over one another's weaknesses. Like the Corinthians who make room for one another as they face how to, or as they deal differently with meat sacrificed to idols. 
like the teacher who covers over his student's lateness with a hug and a kiss on the hand. And like Christ, who meets us in our weakness, in our dirtiness, and in our alienation. Paul reminds us that the work of partnership is Christ's work. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, But now in Christ, in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near, brought together by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two by making peace. And in his one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put, a de- put to death their hostility. Once, all of us were far off, but in Christ we have been brought near. Not just geographically or physically near, but been brought into the warm embrace of God's family. Brought near to one another in relationship and also near to God. We've been brought into God's family as full members. It's a beautiful and a joyous thing to celebrate. As we close this morning, I want to invite you to imagine that this video of the student and teacher story continues. When the student shows up late every day, the student, or the teacher, excuse me, will only grow in his love for the student. Because he knows now that the student is caring for a loved one in a wheelchair. In fact, if the student shows up on time, the teacher might well be disappointed or worried. That teacher has been transformed by love. This is how Christ is with us. His perfect love gives us everything for the sake of our flourishing so that we who were once far off might become one. When we choose to partner together, there is no loss, only an increase in joy. There is no partnership, there is no compromise, excuse me, only a deeper experience of God's presence and the Holy Spirit's partnership with us. In all of this, in the love of Christ, they become we. And it is wonderful and marvelous in our sight and in God's. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity to be partners together in your family. Because you have brought all of us once far off and far off in such different directions. You have brought us near, near to you, to know you, to be loved by you, and near to one another, that we might know each other, love one another, and be loved by each other. God, you have made us who are so different into one. You have made us one family, partners together in the mission and in the relationships that you have given us. Father, we ask this morning 
that you would continue to use the people who are gathered here in person and online to be agents of your coming peace, your coming kingdom. That we might bring healing to divisions in our congregation, in our city, and in our land. Not because we are so powerful or so wise, not because we know everything, but because we are filled with your love and your love builds us up. Father, we pray that through us you would heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.